Welcome to All Access Network Podcast. So excited that you decided to join us. You will absolutely love and you're in for a treat for today's guest. Uh, we are on a mission to positively impact the world through sports and culture. We're a multimedia network, we're a YouTube channel, uh, a podcast, and we also have live shows. Uh, if you haven't followed us on YouTube, you can find us at uh, All Access Network. If you haven't followed us on Twitter, you can find us at All Access underscore net, uh, where we also do some of our live shows uh, along with Facebook at All Access Network. But so excited to have you with us today. Uh, we love for people to be able to write their story, uh, leave their mark, and create their legacy. We're on a mission. We appreciate you joining us. And again, please share, like, and subscribe uh, whenever you get a chance. And stay on this journey with us. It's going to be an awesome ride. I want to take time to acknowledge one of our partners, Rising Coaches. Every coach wants to rise in their career in one way or another. We're all looking for professional development, access to tools, and relationships that can help us grow and help us advance in our career. Rising Coaches provides just that. You can visit Rising Coaches at www.risingcoaches.com. Their memberships are just $10 a month and provides a genuine community to help you grow and advance in your career. Back at it again, College Basketball Heat Check, uh, Season 2, Episode 1. So excited. It's only right to start Episode 1 with the defending national champs from last year. Uh, so excited about our guest today. I don't think many people get a chance to really get to hear his voice or know as much about him. So we're thrilled about having Coach in today, and I'll let Eli introduce. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an honor spending the, the first episode of the new season with the defending champs, as you said. And uh, we're really pleased today to welcome John Jacobs, the uh, Baylor assistant, to the show today. Uh, obviously, we know what Baylor did last season, and it's, uh, it's great to get some insight on, on what this year's team looks like. Yeah, and we'll bring Coach in the studio. Coach, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you, Coach. We're gonna, I'm going to let Eli tip, tip it off. He's going to lead the way. I'm going to give him an ISO and come back in, and we'll share the rock a little bit. All right, that sounds good. Yeah, so uh, first off, national title winning season last year. You've you've been alongside some wonderful head coaches, both Mark Few and Scott Drew. I think just just to start, what was last season like? What was the journey of of competing during this unusual COVID season and ma- making sure that you guys have maintained this focus during an unusual year? And and how did this all come to be to to winning the national title? Yeah, thanks for having me, Eli, and. Um... You know, I think something that was special about last year is that we almost got to like run it back. Uh, you know, the, the guys, Mark Maceo, Jared and Davion, they didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament the year prior. And if they did, I don't know if we would have got them for two years. So you end up getting th- a third year with that group of guys who were unbelievable the year before had won 23 games in a row or one seed if we would have played the tournament. And usually when you have that kind of success, everybody goes. But because of the absence of the NCAA tournament, you get 12 more months with not only wonderful players, but uh, really great people, people that changed our program and really helped us grow, not just our basketball side or flesh out our analytics or establish you know, how we're going to play long term, but really changed our culture. 
And uh, when you get to do something like win a national championship with people you love, and then you get an extra year with them, not just as a staff, but just in your individual relationships, uh, that's something that I'll, I'll never forget. Those guys changed our life. And I don't know that anybody deserves a national championship. You know, I worked at Gonzaga and Mark and those guys are my friends. And those are people that I love, but I do think, and I'm sure they think their guys deserved one, especially with the way they played. But in our hearts, you know, that group coming back to get one in some ways deserved it in a really special and unique way. And not just how they handled the basketball piece, but then the fact that they could get through the ups and downs and three pauses and even playing bad coming out of the third pause, I thought the maturity was was really special. And then we just got firing on all cylinders at the right time. And so much of the tournament is just about that. Well, you mentioned culture in there and also overcoming those three pauses that uh, I mean, it was a huge distraction, a huge obstacle for a lot of teams throughout the season and teams reacted to it differently. What was it within your staff that um, that you were able to do to continue to connect with the players and making sure that they're focused and, and still having the aspirations of the goal of winning the national title? Yeah, I think Scott Drew did an awesome job. And at the end of the day, sometimes people want to take credit for things, but you, you go the way your captain goes. And I think Scott, as he's gotten older, and the fact that he's been head coach now for 20 years at Baylor, there's this consistency that he has. He becomes more and more uncomfortable with who he has, not just, is not just as a coach, but as a person. And having those guys for two years, I think it was championship or bust for us. I also think the joy culture, the Jesus others and yourself thing with Scott is real. And that kind of permeated itself through the players. And then I think when we did hit pauses, we had guys that came back only to win the championship. So the pauses didn't freak them out. It was just this thing we had to get to or have to go through to get to the end. And uh, Scott, I thought, handled the pauses as, as well as he handled the games. And then it's just our job to come alongside him and make sure that we've got one message and that message is consistent. And then we just get better every day, 1% better, we like to say. So. I think Scott just did a wonderful job and, you know, you get credit for coaching on TV, but most of your coaching is done in secret. Most player development is done when no one's watching. And I think we separate ourselves in the dark is what we like to say. When no one else is looking, we like to be the most special. And those pauses were us in the dark for 10 to 14 days at a time. And I think because we have that mindset about how great you need to be when no one's watching, those three pauses in the end maybe even helped us down the stretch. Yeah, I love that you said that, Coach. I've actually been intrigued with what does go on in the dark there that you can share because I think you guys don't <laughs> – I think you don't get the credit all the time, even though you're still having the success. You've had a national championship now. I think we talked about it uh, on the phone, 62-6, and six, I believe, in three regular seasons in a row. Unbelievable success. But it still feels like the Bears are underrated. It's like the next year happens and people are talking about Kansas and Texas and OU. And, and all those teams deserve their recognition, too. But I think there's something there that does happen behind closed doors when no one's around uh, as far as some of the investment and cultural things about the culture of joy, Jesus, others and yourself. So talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind, uh, that you can share and that you feel comfortable. Yeah, I think that. We're a relationship-based program. And no matter what you say, that's at the core of what we do, whether it's taking guys out to eat, whether it's the way we watch film, whether it's the way we interact with our GAs or our players. 
the way the program is built, it's built based on relationships. And the relationship is set up in a way where the most important thing we do is we love our players. And love sometimes is tough love, but often it's just having a plan. And then both parties agreeing on the plan. And the hardest thing today in our culture with all the transferring, and the way college basketball is headed and the way people want things so fast, it's just difficult to get kids to stay still and actually allow the staff to do the player development. So if we can't love the kids enough for them to stay at Baylor for one, two, three, four years, then you never get to do player development. And the heart of every coach on our staff is that we want to be good coaches. And uh, coaching isn't necessarily always who the head coach is. It's, it's can we help players get better? And we're passionate about the player development thing. And at the same time, we know we only get so many hours a week with them. That 20-hour thing is real. And there's a cap. And so the players got to work when we're not around. And I think that comes just we treat our recruiting more like an NBA draft than we ever have. So if you love your guys and they don't leave, you care a bunch about player development and then flowing out of player development, you're picking the kids that fit who you are before they get here. That's a Scott Drew kid. That's somebody we can coach. That's somebody that won't leave when things get hard. That's somebody who loves us as much as we love them. They're proud to be at Baylor. They think Baylor can be a blue blood. Then you're at this place where you get to critique each other and get better and get after it and, and really fix some things without hurting feelings. And kids are more sensitive now than they've ever been. And if you can fix things without hurting feelings, then you can really grow. And uh, we're just dead set on making sure as a staff, we bring kids in that will let us get them better. And in turn, they get us better. Yeah, I think you're on mute. Sorry, I got a little excited there. Didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> You're good. Uh, yeah, I'll take one more before I pass it to Eli, Coach. Tell us about your story prior to Baylor and how you got connected to Baylor because uh, some of that winning that's happened, not because of you, but you and Coach Brooks came on in a time together at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, the same offseason. Is that correct? No, he came a year before me. He came oh, with yeah. Grant McCaslin, took the North Texas job, that's and right. then I came when Paul Mills got the Oral Roberts job. So that's right, that's right, that's right. In some yeah. ways we came together, but it was, you know, I think we view each other that way because of our right. friendship. But, right. um, yeah, he was here that one year prior. I was at Gonzaga at the time. Yeah, this tree of uh, this tree of head coaches, the success that's happened no matter who is there, um, but talk about your background and then what was it like playing that game against the place that you used to work at? Yeah, my background, I, I started working with an organization called Athletes in Action. It's a faith-based Christian organization. And through them, I took trips and coached internationally. And then eventually my family and I had moved overseas and I coached professionally full-time. And then the short version of that is uh, we've got three kids and our second child, he's our son, Cal, was diagnosed with autism. So we moved back from coaching professionally overseas, spent two years on Baylor's campus, uh, kind of hanging out and trying to help him with his uh, autism. Yeah. After our time here, uh, there was an opening at Gonzaga, and that was because of my ties overseas and relationship that Grant McCaslin had with Tommy Lloyd. They had an opening, and I ended up spending three years there, and that was three incredible years. Yeah. Uh, my time there, you know, I'm super thankful for the fact that Mark and Tommy gave me that chance was life-changing and they become more than just mentors or their friends and 
friends for life. And then when Paul left, uh, Scott gave me a call and asked been here ever since. And uh, obviously it was a little bit odd to play them in a national championship, but the way that tournament works, you don't get to pick who you play in that final game. No doubt. And um, I wouldn't have preferred it was them, but it almost felt like it was destiny, you know, because you just don't get college basketball where the two best teams the whole year, rarely do they end up in the final game. That tournament is crazy. And so the fact that it ended that way was pretty unique. And, um, you know, scouting your old team and coaching against your friends. Yeah. Uh, it was awkward in the beginning. At the end of the game, kind of when you knew you were going to win, I sat down for a second, said a little prayer because I didn't want to go shake their hands. But, you know, Mark gave me a hug and it was actually a sweet moment. He's an unbelievable coach and person in my life. And uh, even that meant a bunch to me. So, I mean, looking back on it, once the game starts, it's our guys versus their guys. They're the, the kids right. are the ones playing. And we're just doing the best for our own kids. Um, but that was a great day. I mean, if we're both in the national championship, it means both programs are doing well and that all the friends in my coaching tree are succeeding. And uh, not just to see Gonzaga there, but to see Grant's success in the tournament and Paul's success in the tournament. Uh, you're only as good as your coaching tree and you want everybody in your family to win. And this, this whole coaching thing comes down to relationships. And the more your friends succeed, the more opportunities there are for others that you love. And yep. uh, I think that tournament was just great for all the coaches that have helped me in my life. Yeah, awesome. Well said. And uh, I have a special place for Grant McCaslin in my heart. I don't know if you know this part of my story. He hired me at uh, I was already at Abilene Christian when he got the job. I was working for. No, excuse me. He hired me at Abilene Christian and then he left to go to Baylor about three months later. So I got to work with him. And, <laughs> and I felt like we were college roommates. We were always in the car, sleeping in the hotel, sharing the same room. So it's like. Next thing you know, he goes to Baylor and like, like, well, my roommate's gone. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's been an instrumental part for me and who he's who he's just always been. And he's I've been able to come to Baylor and watch practices when he was there, too. And uh, Coach Drew is tremendous as well. And obviously uh, my relationship with the Be Ready guys and Tang and, and, and AB3 and then Coach Mills and Coach uh, Driscoll, who was instrumental. Yeah. In the early Chris days. is the godfather. Chris yeah. is the godfather. And I mean, if you ask Coach Tang, the number one mentor in his life and the coach that made the biggest difference, I think he would say Drisk first. So any of my GAs from that time would point to Drisk. And That's I know awesome. Grant and Paul had a nice run. And, uh, you know, I, I know Scott and Tang's stability here is pretty special. And Mark Few and Scott have made a big difference in our life. But if you undersold what Drisk did in the beginning here, that first four or five years, uh, if he wasn't the first, I don't know that this would have gone as well as it did. And uh, there's a ton of guys that are important to me that point to Drisk and say they learn more from him than almost anybody else in their life. So shout out to Coach Driscoll. Yeah. He's a wonderful man. He's a special head coach at North Florida. Uh, yeah. Coach Eli, let's ask some questions about this year's team who feels like here we are back again, top two in the country, just like that. I'll let Eli take it from here. Yeah, I think one of the main things that you touched on is the – the developmental aspect of the Baylor program and how these guys, if they're able to stick for two or three years, how you're able to take them from maybe a reserve role to them becoming starters. And I think, to be honest, this, this fills kind of what LJ Cryer has been from, from playing the reserve role last year to now being the team's leading scorer. And he's averaging upwards of 13 more points per game than he did last season. I'd love to hear about his development and kind of how his skill set has grown and just who he is on and off the floor. 
Yeah, I think LJ's um, doing exactly what we thought he'd do. And that might be awkward for people to hear, for people to understand, but we knew he was this good all along. And the truth is if that COVID pause didn't happen and we went on tournament run, then maybe you lose Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. And we kind of expected that to happen. Who could have seen COVID coming? And LJ probably would have played a lot more minutes last year. So he had to step into a situation that wasn't really what he thought it would be. And that's hard on any 18 year old and who he is maturity wise and the way he chose to let those guys become his friends and mentors and the way he chose to practice with Davion and Maceo and Jared every day and, and hitting that switch instead of holding that against us to become part of that process. There's almost nobody in the world that our guards from last year. We saw it coming. We feel like his player development when no one was watching last year was special. And there's a knack to score in the ball that no coach can take credit for. And the reality is that LJ just has that knack. I mean, you put him on the floor, he's a bucket. His real growth has not been in his shooting or his scoring ability. It's been in his ball screen reads, his, his growth away from his ability to score, his defense, the way he uses his chest, the way he moves his feet, the level of aggression and his strength. Uh, LJ's always been a bucket. He scored over 3,000 points in high school. He knew we were getting that. It was the little things that he picked on, up on over this last year that's really causing him to grow. And even as he's accepted that first guard off the bench role, it hasn't affected him at all. And uh, we're really proud of him. He's going to score a bunch of points in his college career. And uh, he's the perfect example of what a Baylor Bear is. And we're so thankful he chose us. In, in terms of some of the guys that you have gotten in the portal, uh, Adam Flagler from Presbyterian and James Akinjo now from uh, being with both Arizona and Georgetown, is is there something that your staff in particular looks at when you're trying to get transfers? Are you are you looking to try to try to uh, plug and play particular players, or uh, is there a particular skill set you that you said uh, with Scott Drew and kind of the players who are Scott Drew players? I think we might have lost him for a second. Yeah, a little bit of technical difficulties. Yeah. Um, we'll wait for Coach to come back in. I think he is here now. Coach, sorry about that. We lost you for a second. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, – oh, it's, I don't know if how much you caught in my question, but just in terms of transfers, getting James Akinjo, getting Adam Flagler, what goes into the process for your staff? Because it's it's been more strategic of getting a particular player here or there and bringing different guys into your program. Is there – is there a particular process that goes into that? And, and how do you think you are able to make that work for players coming from different programs? Yeah, we we're, we have a process with our transfer deal. And, uh, you know, I think in the beginning, um, analytics was a big part of it. We try to use predictive analytics as far as who can translate. Uh, the second thing is um, if you can't, if you can't make a three early on, that was a big tipping point for us with Adam and Maceo. And then I just think our overall need for older guards, if you look at college basketball, I think 11 of the last 12 national champions played two point guards and had at least one older guard. So, you know, you just can't go into a season with a younger guard. And then I think we shifted from an Adam and Maceo shooting winning, maybe being overlooked in high school and having this chip on your shoulder and choosing the right guy character-wise 
into this year, we needed a, a lead point guard who could take some of Davion's role. And that's why we went older and a different route. Cause James was a ranked kid who chose UConn and then Georgetown and he had a different path than Adam and, and Maceo did. But early on, we were looking for something specific this, this past year, we were looking for something specific, but like I said earlier, we treat this thing like we're an NBA draft room. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the analytics or the films or the background track checks or the questions we ask or the information, we can take some weaknesses. No, no player is perfect, and you've got a lot for their weaknesses. But there's got to be a certain there's got to be a certain tipping point where we're like convinced that you as a person is going to fit here, yep. and that uh, your prior success isn't going to keep you from letting us change the things that we want to change. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you're not renting us; you're becoming a Baylor Bear. And I think a lot of transfers are, they're disappointed in a place. So they're trying to go to the next place so they can fix it. And they go to that program, wanting that program to meet their needs to the point where if they don't, then they just get mad again. Mm-hmm. We're trying to avoid that player at all costs. We will not take that kid. If he's coming to us because he's mad or he wants to fix something or he had losing habits at the last place, but he had good numbers uh, we're, we're avoiding that. So our background checks trump almost everything. And there's not a perfect science to it. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you all the details of it, but I think that kind of gives a picture right. analytically role, who they are as a person. And then are they going to really let us make them into a Baylor Bear instead of just renting us so they can get what they want out of college basketball, which we think is a real problem right now. And we're trying to avoid it. Yeah. I love that idea of, I actually heard another coach say that here recently, uh, same kind of concept of like, you're not going to rent us. You said that, which was even better, but he said the players are kind of just going to places for the year, trying to get what they can get out of it. He didn't use the word rent, but I love that. A uh, couple more before we let you go. Coach Drew, let's talk about him for a second, specifically. He's played zone early in his career. He's recruited five stars. He's done it with high school guys that were under-recruited like Torian Waller-Prince. He's done it with uh, guys who have registered in his program. Now he's done the transfer formula. Uh, <clears throat> what's the young man's name? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. They got all the buckets. The lefty point guard is a Juco uh, player. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name from CSI. Uh, oh, really good. Pierre Jackson. He wasn't lefty. Pierre. Ja- oh, yeah, it wasn't lefty. Okay, sorry. Uh, Pierre Jackson. Uh, so he's done yeah, it with yeah. Juco. He's done it with high school. He's done it with five yeah. stars. He's done it with no stars. He's done it with – and he's done it with zone. He's done it with man. What is it about Coach Drew that allows him to be able to adapt and change and have this elite level success outside of the things that maybe you've already said? What do you think that is that helps him be so elite at that? Yeah, I think you just said the word adapt. I don't think that all coaches want to adapt. Um, I think a lot believe that they've got to figure it out. And if their players aren't doing it, it's their players' fault and they've got to correct it. And, there's a certain humility about Scott. Mm. If if we make a mistake, it's our mistake. If we lose, he goes to the press conference and he says, we have to do a better job. I have to do a better job. I'm going to change. It's on me. And whether it was because his dad was a coach and he grew up in that environment or he saw his brother play in the NBA or he had to go through that first four or five years here where they were just losing a bunch of games. Right. I don't know that I've met a coach who does a better job of learning how to take personal responsibility for the actions that are going on in his program. Mm. He's so quick to say, this is my fault. I could have done better. Or, hey, that worked for that personnel. 
that was great when we had three, six, nine guys at the forward spot. We'll go zone. Right. But, you know, we're smaller. We're playing three guys. Let's go man. A lot of guys won't do that. Maybe they'll get mad at their assistants or they just say they did a bad job in recruiting or they picked the wrong kids. He never says anything is wrong. He always looks for what's right. Right. And uh, I think early in his career, maybe people thought his optimism was fake, even his personality. And right. Can't right. be that happy all that time. And yeah, can't be that positive. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, that's fine. If you want to critique a man, you don't know that's on your own time. There's nothing we can do about that. I can just tell you working for him. I'm not sure there's a better guy at admitting his own faults and saying, I'm going to fix it. I can work this out. We can make Baylor great. We don't need to come to Baylor, be good, and then go pick another program. We can just make this one the best one. Right. And he's done that by self-criticism. He's open to saying, what can I do better? What can we do better? It's actually a great place to work because you can address your own weaknesses with no fear. Yeah. And you get to the point where you don't blame the players and the players don't blame you. You're looking for a solution. Right. And, you know, there's there's problem based people and there's solution based people. Yep. And we're fighting for solutions. And so Jerome, Alvin, myself, the rest of the staff. Got just a little bit of technical difficulty there. I think Coach will be back. Um, yeah, we're almost done with the interview. I was just going to ask him a funny question. Uh, but, man, uh, Coach Jay doesn't get enough credit, and it's so cool to be able to get a chance to hear from another voice on the staff that uh, you just don't normally hear much from or uh, get his perspective. And, uh, yeah, I'll let you kind of take it before he comes back in and we close it out. Yeah, it's like you said, it's really cool to hear the perspective. And we've talked about on this show quite a bit how it goes beyond the players. It goes beyond the head coach. The assistants play such a huge role here in whether it's scouting, whether it's development, whether it's, you know, just maintaining the chemistry on the team. And all of that has to be checked. Every single box has to be checked to win a national title. There's no there's no exception. You don't luck your way into winning a national championship, let alone in a season where you're dealing with the biggest distraction of all, which is COVID-19, which Baylor went through three separate times and still bounced right. back. So um, it speaks volumes to what this staff accomplished last season. And it's, it's great to hear that perspective because it's not, uh, it's not often you get to talk to a national champion and someone who played a, a significant role in that. And obviously John has, and, and can you continues to do so and to still be undefeated? Obviously they, they have the formula and they have this thing, rolling in the right direction to keep that that ship moving yeah it's cool to, i mean we all know how much depth goes into college basketball i think sometimes in the media side people may not uh, but i love to hear them talk about their evaluation process almost being nba draft like and how depth uh and how much depth teams go into for that draft process them taking the same thing uh, with their program i love to hear him kind of talk about that and then you know, again, I think Coach Drew does not get the credit as a coach, even though he's won a national championship. So I love him kind of sharing that. We got Coach back. Uh, we'll get one last question from him and let him roll. I got coach. all these bars. I don't know what's going on. He says I'm full. But... Sometimes the enemy just tries to knock us down, even though he's doing too much good. So, yeah. Um, so, Coach, was uh, you were talking about Coach Drew and the solution, finding solutions. He kind of has this way. Have you ever watched Ted Lasso, the, the show? 
Yeah, you're not the first guy to bring up that comparison. <laughs> I don't, he, you know, he he had never even heard of the show, but people just kept tweeting that he's Ted Lasso, especially like our fans. Yes. The comparison got to the point where I think he had to sit down and watch the show. That's a great show. So what, wife, what is he? What does he say about the show? Does he like the show? Does he not like it? No, uh, who doesn't like that show? I mean, that's what yeah, shows like hysterical. It. And there's yeah. a certain optimism about it that I think culturally people are shocked by. Like, how can a man think like that? And right. I right. think that is Scott. Like. How can a guy that be that positive? How can I take over a program that there was a murder charge and turn it into a winner? And why turn would he stay there? That, champion, not yeah, just yeah, why would he? Why would he stay there that long? And right. he can't really be that happy. And so probably the same stuff Ted Lasso would have gone through in real life is what Scott is has dealt with in his career. So I don't think they're exactly the same, but there's enough comparison. No doubt that uh, I think even as Scott's gotten deeper into this deal people have begun to really believe that he is who he says he is and what he, yeah. what he, what he believes in matters. Yeah. And uh, he's a hall of fame coach and any debate about that is behind him at this point. Yep. And um, you can call him Ted Lasso, you can call him whatever you want, but you're going to have to call him a national champion for the rest of his <laughs> life. And, hey, you've, been uh, hanging out with, you've been hanging out with Coach. <laughs> that sounds like his line right there. No, no, no. Like, I mean, and we're happy for him, you know, yeah. I think, um, at Gonzaga, I got to take part in Mark's first Final Four, and at Baylor, I've gotten to take part in, in Scott's first Final Four. And these cool. guys do so much to carry the burden of our families, and yeah. uh, they work so hard, and they do so many things. That no, people don't even understand that 80% of their job is anything in basketball. They've got to be a CEO and take care of us, and yeah. all that those two things, two guys have done for me and my family, uh, to be part of that with both of them was so sweet. And he deserves to be a Hall of Famer and called a national champion. And I know we're goofing around about it because it's Ted Lasso, but I'm, I'm just from my own heart. He's a good man. Yeah, he's no doubt. Man. No doubt. So as we talked about Ted Lasso, how great coach he is, give us one funny story about anything Baylor Bears or anything your career that you can share with us before we let you go. We, we, we like to try to lighten it up at the end, give a little humor, let people know the other side of uh, the coaches that come on. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'll go something before my time here. Yeah. Yeah. My first please. game, my first game coaching overseas for athletes in action. I coached against a pro team. I won't tell you the country. And uh, I introduced myself to the head coach and didn't know English, looked at me blank. I was told he was one of the better players in the history of the country. And I was excited to meet him and he didn't say a word. He barely even looked at me. So I thought, oh, there's a language barrier. You know, this is going to be normal if you're going to coach internationally. Certain people just aren't going to know English. Right. So we get in this uh, really close game. We get three straight offensive rebounds to take the lead. I think like we were down five and we went up by a point. And they expected the refs to cheat because I was an American and they weren't. And uh, so the coach walks out on the floor and he starts swearing at the ref in English. All right. I'm like, I thought you, I looked, I looked at him. Like, Wait a I minute. Said, I you, yeah, yeah. I said, I thought you didn't know English. And then he started coming at me and swearing in English. And I said, all right, now all of a sudden, you know, all the words, don't you? And I'll say 40% of the words he shared started with F. So you can only imagine how that went. But there was no, there was no big fist fight, nothing. It was all fake basketball fights, but, uh, I just thought that was a great way to start my international career. And uh, okay. it, it grabbed a hold of my heart. And I think we'd probably be coaching overseas still if it wasn't for my son. But God's got a plan, and this is where we're meant to be. And, um, you know, my time overseas really shaped my career. And I know I'm a little bit an outsider from college basketball because of how I started. But 
people have really given me a chance and I'm forever thankful, but uh, yeah, I'll never forget the guy who pretended he didn't know English. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, coach. I love it. I'm, I'm so glad you came on today because we really appreciate the time and we know you're uh, preparing to do big things again there at Baylor. And uh, we just appreciate you taking the time and letting us get to know you and letting more people out there get to know your story and uh, a little bit more of the insight into Baylor. So thanks so much. And yeah, thank uh, you. Thanks for what you're doing for the game and what you're doing for us. I know you support Alvin and Jerome. I appreciate you having me on, but uh, let's always help those two guys out. Those are two of the best. No doubt. No doubt about it, coach. And then next time we connect, uh, I got to tell you the story about how coach Brooks helped me with my newborn daughter, who is now almost 10 months. So okay. uh, we all have some um, relatability there. And so I'll be all picking right. your brain on how to, uh, how to how to be the best dad to her too. So thanks so okay. much, Coach. Keep up the good work and good luck. Yeah, thanks so much, have a John. good day. Talk to you guys soon. All right, we'll let Eli shut us down as always. Yeah, this was, uh, this, it was really cool getting John's perspective on this. Winning the national title. Eli, I think I think you're still on your uh, on your uh, headphones. You got me. Can you we hear got us? now? We got okay, you now. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it just died. I'd switch over. Um, I like like I said earlier, it, you don't luck your way into winning the national title, and I think that doesn't even start in November. That starts way back years and years. And and John spoke to that too with right uh, his connection with Mark Few and that Gonzaga staff, and clearly they've built. They haven't. Yet they haven't yet won a national title, but they have that national title sort of. And I know culture is overused, but they're they're competing for national titles every single season. There's no there's no doubt about that. And clearly, so much goes into that with how coaches treat their assistants, with how with how the staff treats their players, and which players you bring to your program. I thought that was really fascinating when yeah. uh, John spoke about the transfers that they look at and how you look at both on-court skill set and also off-court maturity and those are if you check both of those boxes you're probably in a pretty good spot so um he, he had a great perspective and clearly he's been to several different spots around the country and outside of the country too that's helped mold the coach that he has become and will continue yeah. to be but so we've seen it so many times in in past years in college basketball the national title winning team loses three starters, four starters, which Baylor did this offseason, yeah. and then they kind of go into a slump. Well, Baylor's only gotten better, and they're undefeated, and one of their guys who was averaging three points a, a night last season is now their leading scorer. So that in itself tells you what you need to know about the Baylor program. It's it's now one of the best in the country, and I fully expect it to do so, so long as Scott Drew and these assistants are there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and uh, we'll talk more about Baylor specifically on – uh the show today uh when we get to uh heat check and the undefeated teams but yeah i think it's just such a cool thing like college basketball there's so many great coaches and people that have such unique stories like he literally coached athletes in action and then coached overseas professionally and next thing you know he's at baylor next thing you know he's at gonzaga next thing you know he's back at baylor it's like yeah. You just never know how God can orchestrate or how things will fall in place for your career. And um, again, can't say enough about Coach Jay. I look forward to getting to know him more. And I'm just so glad that everybody else gets a chance to get to know more of his story and who he is. And um, yeah, just more inside to the Baylor Bears program because it is a unique thing to be able to do what they're doing 
And I think it's special for us to be able to witness this time capsule. Uh, we may never see something like what this Baylor story is right now. Being where it started with, like you said, a murder that lost had a coach lose his job. They had all these penalties and scholarship. I mean, they had all this stuff to overcome and felt like no way is that place ever going to be a respectable place athletically. And here we are with the football team winning the national champ. I mean, a big 12 championship uh, after they've overcome some stuff as well. And then now you got Baylor basketball winning a national championship. And now they're back in the top two in the country conversation. And the crazy part, he talks about the development, but I think there's no clear cut favorite for a national champion this year, like it was last year. Uh, we've had a new number one team. It feels like middle of the week every week uh, since the season has started. And now here we are. Baylor is right there at the top. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were right there in the national championship and final four again. And then once you get that far, it's anybody's ball game. So uh, excited to talk more about more about them later. Coach Jay was awesome. And uh, yeah, season two, heat check already bringing the heat. Yeah, no, it's we're off to a good start here. We got a player, got a coach, and best is yet to come. So this is this is a great way to start things off. Yeah. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the All Access Network. Be sure to follow, share, and stay connected with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe and hit that notification bell on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to write your story, leave your mark, and create your legacy.